the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Healing Word Program is a ministry of the Largo Community Church, where Christ is honored and people are loved. You're invited to join us in worship via live streaming this Sunday morning at either 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Visit LargoCC.org and click on Watch Live. Don't go out there and act like you used to act if you're really saved. God, change you and me, our disposition, our character. God, help us to love God with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our might, with all our heart, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Welcome to The Healing Word, a radio ministry of the Largo Community Church. Here's Pastor Jack Morris with today's message that will grow your faith in God and lead you to a closer walk with Jesus. If you have your Bibles open, oh, there it is. It's on the screen. Let's read it together. Just look up at the screen. In unison, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all die. For Christ's love compels, compelling love. This is where I got my sermon title. For Christ's love compels us, meaning uh, another translation, for Christ's love leaves me no choice. Or another translation, for Christ's love has a tightening grip on me. I feel closer, tied into Jesus, the longer I live for Jesus. Christ's love in you. The Apostle Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now listen, listen to me, friends. Doesn't this make sense? Or doesn't it make sense? If Christ is living in me, then I'm going to act like Christ, right? I I think I'm right on that. (laughs) That's what the Paul said. It is no longer I who live. I once lived a life. I don't live that life anymore. Somewhere along the way, that life died, and a new life took over. And it, the new life that took over was the life of Jesus. And I, I no longer live that life that I once lived. I now live the life of Jesus. I'm act like Jesus, think like Jesus, behave like Jesus. Ooh, I, I feel like this morning that I'm standing on holy ground. And I truly believe I am. This new life that I live and that you live as believers, we, we live for the glory of Jesus, number one, and we think, behave, and act like Jesus towards others. That's the only way I know to interpret the Christian life. I'm now in Christ, and Christ is now in me, and his love that compelled him to come to earth, to go to the cross and to die for me, 
His love that compelled him to love me now compels me to act like him in loving others and in obeying the Father. You are a believer, and because you are a believer, you, listen, you are Jesus all over again. Jesus looks like you. He's as tall as you. He's as short as you. He's as old as you. You are Jesus all over again. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A Japanese boy, first name Toyoka. He's, his parents died when he was four years old. He lived with a relative on a farm who physically abused him, ostracized him. All his life long, he lived with the scars of loneliness. But when he was 15 years old, a Presbyterian missionary reached him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he so loved what he heard about Jesus, that there is somebody in this world who loves me. My parents died. I don't hardly remember them. My relative on the farm didn't like me at all. But somebody loves me. And Toyoka memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount. And when he was 15, he was baptized in water. And he loved Jesus so much. And Jesus was so real to him. And when he became 21, he wanted to know more about Jesus. And he decided he was going to go to seminary. So he takes all his belongings, the little belongings that he had, and he put in a cart, into a cart. And uh, he pushed that little cart all the way to Kolb Theological Seminary. There was an old shack there with a one room in it, six by six. And he moved in that room. And there's where he lived, eating two bowls of rice a day. Living in a shack, eating two bowls of rice a day, just so he could learn more about Jesus. <laughs> Boy, that's a hunger to learn more about Jesus, isn't it? He shared that old shack with anybody who needed lodging. He started visiting the sick, the hospitals, wherever there were the elderly. He started acting like Jesus, behaving like Jesus. His love for God was so great that he loved others like Jesus loved him. And wherever there was a need, that's where he went. Now, I think today, one of, the, one of the, the, his very favorite hymn was, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Now, Toyoka said, he was born in the religion of Shinto, Confucianism, Buddhism. And he said, I'll always be grateful for, to, to those religions because they taught me reverence. But he said, only one who could declare, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Beautiful religions in the world, and every religion has has some good things about it, every religion. Even this Japanese boy said so. But he said, there is only one religion that says, this is my blood of a new covenant that is poured out for many for the remission of sins. 
Only one religion. No, it's not a religion. It's a person we're talking about. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus touched his heart and met the need of his life. Now, I see Christians today, they're going to nursing homes, hospitals. They're going to jails. They're going to prisons. Somebody needs communion. They go, and they do it with joy because they're serving the body and blood of Jesus, the one who loved them. Now they're able to serve another. We're, we're Jesus to this world. We act like Jesus. We behave like Jesus. We smile like Jesus. We are Jesus to the world. I told you the story so long ago that the president of the college that I was in told the story about how the, this man was walking down the street after the car pulled up, he got out. There was this little boy standing looking in a shoe store. And he was, it was cold. The, the man had an overcoat on and a hat. And the little boy had <laughs> bare feet out in that cold. And his feet were just as dirty as they could be. And he just was looking in there at those shoes. That boy must have been about seven, eight years old. And the man never said a word to the boy, just reached down and took him by the hand. The little boy took him by the hand. He walked into the shoe store and he told the, the salesperson, he said, fit him up with a pair of those Buster Brown shoes. The man measured his foot. He said, put some socks on. He said, pulled socks over those dirty feet. <laughs> put those shoes on him, tied them up. The man paid the cashier, took the little boy by the hand, walked down on the sidewalk, Left, let loose the little boy's hand. Nobody had said a word to anybody. And the little boy looked up and said, Mister, is your name Jesus? <laughs> Friend, has anybody mistaken you for Jesus? You look like him. You act like him. You behave like him. You love like him. Compelling love. There are some things now that, that I have to do, that I want to do, that I find joy in doing. But I'm compelled by the love of Jesus, the same love that compelled him to think about me when he was way out there in heaven somewhere, and he thought about me. Same love that compelled him to leave heaven and come all the way to this earth. The same love that compelled him to go to the cross and to take my sins in his own body. Compelling love. Now, I pray that I'm able to say what I'm going to say, and I'm going to say it clearly and that we'll understand it, that I'll be able to say it so that we can understand it. I'm going to go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7, uh, 53, verses 11 and 12. It talks about the travail of his soul. Isaiah said somebody is going to come, and they're going, that person is going to, to travail and bring you in to the kingdom of God. The analogy is that of a woman travailing in giving birth to a baby. Jesus said, A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. Travail means pain. It means sweat. It means labor pain. It means blood. It means anguish. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, for her hour has come. Now, Jesus in Gethsemane travailed in birth to bring you and me into the kingdom of God. Oh, God, help me. God, help you to listen and to receive. The scripture says a woman in travail has sorrow. 
she sweats. Jesus in Gethsemane sweat as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus in Gethsemane said, my soul, my soul, the, the part of me within me that is travailing is sorrowful unto death. Friend, you just didn't get saved. Somebody birthed you into the kingdom of God. You were born again through the sweat and the blood and the travail, the anguish and the sorrow of Jesus Christ. It's so easy to come up here and take communion. It's so easy to become a Christian. It's so easy to be baptized. But he travailed to bring you and me into the kingdom of God. Now, a mother, when she is in travail, she gives birth alone. The husband, the father may be there, but he cannot enter into her sweat. He cannot enter into her anguish. He cannot enter into her blood, her body being torn and broken. He can only look. She's alone. She and Jesus in Gethsemane, look at him now. He takes Peter, James, and John. But prior to that, he took the disciples into the garden. Now, I'm not sure why he did this, but he stopped and he said, you three, Peter, James, and John, I want you to come on in just a little bit more. And they go deeper into the garden. And then he asked them, he said, now you stay here. The disciples there, three of them here. And he went in just a little farther. But those three disciples, they saw him differently than they've ever seen him before. And they had no idea what was happening. They saw his eyes were so perplexed and troubled. Their hearts became fearful and anguish. What is this? They wondered. What's happening to him? We've never seen him like this before. There was something of crushing weight that had fallen upon the heart of Jesus. There was a horror of great darkness that had come upon his soul. When he got in there all alone, like a mother, ready to travail, he falls on his face and the sweat and the blood, and God the Father put the cup to his lips. And Jesus looked into that cup, and what he saw in that cup recoiled him. He revolted. He backed away. And he prayed, Father, don't do this. Take that cup from me. If there's any other way in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of heaven, if people can be saved any other way. You know, sometimes people get saved, and they, they, they come in, and they, you know, they open the doors of the church, they call it. That's a fine thing to say. That's, that's okay. Or they give an altar call, or they say, come forward. People come forward, they shake the preacher's hand, get their name on the book, and then they go. It's all over. I'm a Christian now. I'm a member of the church. But here Jesus, he goes back and he looks in that cup again. Is he really seeing what he is seeing? Three times he looks into that cup. Now, what he saw in that cup was your sin. Your sin. Your sin. My sin. He saw every imaginable filthy sin that was ever and would ever be created. And he had to drink that slime and rot into his soul. Nothing ever unclean had entered him and he said, how, how can I become an alcoholic? How can I become a sex pervert? How can I become a liar, a cheat, and a thief? How can I become 
every rotten thing, child molester, everything, every sin, every sin was in that cup, and he had to take it in. And finally, he put that cup to his lips, and he drank that slime. He prayed, Abba, Father, beloved Father, don't hold that cup to my lips. But you know what happened? Love, are you listening? Love compelled him to drink it. That's why he came into this world, to drink your sin and my sin. Now he takes that cup, and when he drank that cup, now listen, oh, listen carefully. In drinking that cup, he was taking humanity into union with himself. For all have sinned. That's humanity. That's the story of humanity. Sin. He takes humanity into union with him. He makes men and women unions of his own body. And he draws what he is doing. He's drawing off our corruption when he takes that in. Now, blood does two, th two major things. It does many things, but it does two major things. And science has always been interested in blood. And they're always looking for more blood. That's why we have blood banks. That's why we give blood. And they're always calling, more blood, more blood. And when they examine you, they draw your blood. Blood is so important. Now, why? It does two, two great major things. Number one, it brings nourishment and moisture to every tissue of the body. That's one of the things it does. The second thing, blood will draw off all of the poison and corruption and waste in our system. So it gives health, it gives nourishment, it gives strength, and then it draws off all of that corruption. It pulls it, pulls it out of our system. Now, when Jesus gave his body and his blood, which you're going to hear me in a moment, uh, say the words that he said in the upper room, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. This is what he said. He was saying that his body is going to provide you the nourishment and the help that you and I need to live the Christian life. Every tissue he's going to strengthen bring moisture bring health and at the same time this is my body this is my blood his blood is going to draw off the waste and the infection and the corruption in the year of 1880s dip, diphtheria was identified and an old Presbyterian minister that taught me when I was in Bible college, Robert Cummings, I shall never forget him. And my heart rejoices now with thanksgiving. Sometimes when I get happy, I cry. <laughs> so <laughs> the, he, he was so, so blessed to go to India, and India was so blessed to have him in the nation of, country of India. And he said... Uh, now, he was an old man when he was teaching me, and I was in my 20s. Now, he's been dead for many years. So in the early 1900s, he was there about that time, and diphtheria was just killing the children. 
in America too, all over the world, killing the children. And he said the scientists discovered a certain kind of horse, a certain type of horse, that when they would take the germ uh, of diphtheria, that poison, and they would inject it into the bloodstream of that certain kind of horse. This was an ancient way of, they don't do it that way anymore, but this, it worked back then. This was the only remedy that anybody knew for diphtheria. It was killing the children and killing adults also. They would inject that germ of diphtheria into that horse and the horse would become sick. Now notice, hear this, the horse would become sick not with its own poison, not with its, its own germ, but with a human germ. Diphtheria was killing humans, not horses. And it takes in a foreign element outside itself was put into that horse. And the horse gets sick. If the horse lived, the horse would build up a serum or an antitoxin that would fight and destroy the germ of diphtheria in children and in adults. The horse became sick, but as they, it, it's something like that today when you get a flu shot, they put a little bit of that germ in you and then your body works and, and builds up an, uh, an immunity to it. It's the same, same basic thing. And so the, the germ of diphtheria came into contact with the horse's blood and a war came about. The diphtheria tried to fight down the horse's blood and killed the horse. And the horse's blood attacked the germ of diphtheria and overcame it and destroyed it and built up an antitoxin that was an immunity. And when that immunity was there in the horse, the horse's blood then is extracted from the horse and little boys and girls came and got a shot. They received overcoming blood. Their blood couldn't fight off diphtheria. No more than you and I can fight off sin once it reaches out and poisons us. We can't turn over a new leaf. We can't break that habit. We can't move beyond and act good. It can't be done, not in all sincerity. Now, this was so, when Jesus looked upon the world, and God looked upon the world, and, they, and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit saw that the blood of bulls and goats just wasn't strong enough. And so Jesus said, I'll go down there. And Jesus was and is to you and me and everybody who believes on him what that horse's blood was so many years ago to little children. Friend, let me say it again. You didn't get saved easily. Oh, you did when you came. I just had to kneel and say, forgive me. And I was forgiven. But he travailed. He drank the poison. He drank the, the corruption. He took it into his body and he fought it. He sweat as it were drops of blood. He went to Calvary. They put a crown on his head. They put nails in his hands and in his feet. They put a sword into his side and out came overcoming pure. Yeah. 
for your redemption. Don't go out there and act like you used to act if you're really saved. God, change you and me, our disposition, our character. God, help us to love God with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our might, with all our heart, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we don't love God that way and love our neighbor that way, he died for nothing. But he died for something. And that's why it is said, there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men. No church, no religion, no bulls, goats, pigeons, turtle doves, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We hope that today's message has been a blessing and has strengthened your faith in God. We invite you to join us in worship this Sunday at either the 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock service to experience a wonderful fellowship of believers and faith-building messages based on God's Word that is sure to encourage your faith and spiritual formation in Christ. The church is located at 1701 Enterprise Road in Bowie, Maryland. For more information, visit our website at largocc.org. Be sure to tune in tomorrow at this same time for another edition of The Healing Word. Until tomorrow, blessings on you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.